Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, An Anchor for the Soul, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews. Here's Pastor Nick. Good morning. Welcome to Whitefields. We're glad you're here this morning. We ask that you open your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews. One of the ways that we like to study the Bible here at Whitefields is we like to study right through books of the Bible. We'll take a whole book of the Bible and we'll go through it each week, taking a section until we get through the whole thing. The reason we like to do that is because that way we let the the context be rich and we get the whole message of that book that was that that letter that was uh, given to us by God to speak to us. So that's what we've been doing here in the book of Hebrews in our study called An Anchor for the Soul. This is one of my absolute favorite books of the Bible to study because it's all about Jesus. It's all about looking at who he is and considering what he has done and what it means for us in every area of our lives. So we're going to continue in the book of Hebrews this morning in chapters four and five, starting in Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed on behalf of men in relation to God to order gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what it has to say. We pray, Lord, you'd open up our hearts, open up our understanding, Lord, that we might understand these things that your word is speaking to us. We might understand how it applies to our lives. And Lord, may we not just stop there. May we put these things into practice. May we be those who respond to what you speak to us through your word. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I was up late last week on Sunday night when I read the news and saw the news of the terrible shooting that took place in Las Vegas. I have a lot of friends there. I was just there about a month ago, and I, I started texting some of my friends there in Vegas, and, and you know, some of my friends had friends who were at the concert that night, and um, you know, this crowd was shot into, 59 people killed, injuring over 500 others, just an act of evil, a really completely selfish and malicious act of hurting other people and, and taking lives. And one of the things you'll notice whenever something like this happens, 
I want you to notice the language that people use, the language in, in which we talk about it, the language which you read about it in the news. We always talk about perpetrators and we talk about victims. We talk about, we emphasize the fact that the people who were shot, they, were, they didn't deserve to be shot. They were innocent victims. They, they weren't doing anything to deserve this. We talk about innocent people who are affected by what happens, the family members and the loved ones. They did, we say things like, they didn't do anything to deserve this, but now they're going to have to live with this for the rest of their life. And we say, that's not fair. And rightly so, we, that we are correct in saying that. But I want you to think about this. What is that the language of? All of those words, what is that the language of? It's the language of justice. It's the language of guilt and innocence. When we talk about things that are fair or unfair, when we talk about what, what people deserve or what they don't deserve, that is the language of justice. And any person who has a heart, we look out on the world and we see things like this and we long for justice. We long for things to be right. We long for things to be fair. We don't want innocent people to suffer. It bothers us when things happen that are unfair. When people do things that are wrong or they hurt other people, we want them to get what they deserve, don't we? Just, I don't know how many of you read the local news or follow the local news here in this area, but this week was the trial for the young man from Berthoud who last year uh, murdered his girlfriend up at Carter Lake. And I was following some of the updates online as the trial was going on and they even went through the sentencing by the end of the week. And, you know, in all the social media online, everybody was just calling for justice, saying there needs to be justice. They wanted him to get a verdict and, and they did. The verdict came down. He was found to be guilty of first degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And the response to that was that people were applauding that. They were cheering. They were saying that they were glad because they felt that justice had been served on this girl's behalf and this man had gotten what he deserved. See, we all love justice. We all want justice. We long for justice, at least when it comes to other people. When it comes to things that we feel also that we deserve, then we want justice. We want fairness. But think about this. What about when the tables are turned? What about when you are the one who is on trial. You're the one in the crosshairs of justice. What about when you've done something wrong because all of us do things that are wrong? Or when there's something that you want, but you know and you feel that you don't deserve it? What you need at a time like that is an advocate. That's what you need. It's not a judge, but an advocate that you need at a time like that. You need someone to come alongside you, someone to fight for you, someone to stand on your side and help you. And the title of today's message is Jesus our advocate. That's what we're going to be talking about. Three important things that this text we read tells us about an advocate. First of all, you need an advocate. Why you need an advocate. Secondly, the kind of advocate you need. And thirdly, what to do once you found that advocate. So why you need an advocate, the kind of advocate you need, and what to do once you found that advocate. So let's begin by looking at why you need an advocate. So to understand why we need an advocate, we actually have to go back a few verses from where we started today to something that we read last week, but we're going to look at it right now from a little bit different angle. If you read with me from chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this book, this letter, it was written to a group of Christians who were discouraged. It was written to discourage Christians. In fact, they were so discouraged that they were seriously thinking about giving up, just 
throwing in the towel and quitting. Quitting on Christianity, quitting on Jesus, just giving up altogether. And the writer is writing to these people to encourage them to fix their eyes upon Jesus in the midst of their discouragement and their stress and their hardship, to fix their eyes upon Jesus, to see Jesus for who he is and all of his beauty and glory and all that he has done for them. And then rather than giving up, they ought to embrace Jesus. They have to cling to him all the more in the midst of whatever they're going through. And they should look to him as the ultimate source of hope and encouragement. And so over and over in this book, the writer is telling us who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, like a jeweler who takes a precious stone or a gem and holds it up under a light and turns it under a magnifying glass so that you can see all of the beauty from every different angle and how it shines and glimmers. In this section, the writer is showing us yet another aspect of Jesus, a very important aspect of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the advocate we need. And he introduces this by telling us why we need an advocate. And the reason, which we see there in those two verses we just read, is because every single one of us, we have a problem. You and me, we have a problem. And our problem is we are guilty. Our problem is that we have sinned, we have fallen short at different times in different areas of our lives. And so even though we love justice and we want justice, if God is just, and he is, then we've got a problem. Because if God is completely fair, if God is completely fair and gives us exactly what we deserve, then the fact is that we are going to receive judgment ourselves as well. And maybe you'd say, well, well, I don't know about that. I mean, not me. Maybe, maybe some other people, but not me. Sure, there are some bad people out there, like this guy in Las Vegas. They need to be judged, but I'm not one of those people. I don't have anything to worry about. Really? Well, well, that's kind of the point that the author's making here. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, look, the word of God is like a blade. It's like a blade that cuts down to the core of who you are and reveals what's really going on under the surface, on the inside. I wonder how many of you have ever had surgery? Whenever you get cut, whether it's in a surgery or not, it hurts. But a surgeon doesn't cut you in order to hurt you. A surgeon cuts you in order to heal you. A surgeon cuts you in order to get to something that is below the surface of your skin, something that's broken or sick inside of you so they can repair it or remove it or replace it. And that's the picture that we have here. This is what God's word is like. It's like a surgeon's knife and it lays you open and it reveals what's going on inside of you and exposes what's sick and broken in you. The word of God, these scriptures, it tells us here, they are living and active. What that means is that when we study the Bible, this is not just an educational exercise. This is not just about gaining intellectual knowledge or collecting information. This is a, there is a spiritual dynamic that is at work when you read or you study the Word of God. That's why it's called the Word of God, because through it, God speaks to us. And that's why we put such a big focus on studying the Bible here at Whitefields, because we want to know God and we want to hear what God has to say to us. And one of the functions of God's Word, as it tells us here, is that it diagnoses us. It lays us on the operating table and it cuts us open and it reveals what's really going on inside of us. And it reveals that although you might feel pretty great and although you might even look pretty great, Oftentimes there's a cancer inside of you. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. 
In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. And the Bible talks about this in other places as well, like in in Romans chapter 3 and in Galatians chapter 3, we read that one of the purposes of the law or the Ten Commandments, one of the purposes is actually to help us see just how bad our condition actually is, like to actually understand how bad the condition is. So for a person who says, I'm a pretty good person, God says, okay, well, well, let me give you a little test. Let's just see how you do on the test. Okay, here's the test. Number one. Has anything in your life ever been more important to you than God? Uh, You know, hobbies, work, family. At any time, has anything ever been more important to you than God? Well, yeah, you know, probably that has happened for most of us. Okay, number two. Have you ever used God's name in a way that wasn't worshipful, like as a curse word or as a, as a slang or just a filler word? Have you ever used God's name in a, wor- in a way that wasn't worshipful? Thirdly, do you set aside a day every week to rest from your work and to worship God? Do you honor the Sabbath? Number four, have you ever disrespected your parents like ever in your life or have you ever failed to honor them properly? How about another one? Have you ever lied? If you say no, well then there you go. You just lied again. So stop lying, please. I shouldn't have even asked you that question for those of you who want to say no. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever murdered someone? And all then you're like, oh, well, I haven't done that. That one. Oh, congratulations, you know. Uh, no, then have you ever wanted something that wasn't your own, but you wanted it anyway? Okay, so how did you do on the test? God would ask you. Well, some people would say, well, you know, I didn't do too bad. I didn't do super great. You know, I got like, uh, you know, maybe like eight out of 10 wrong. Eight out of 10. But you know, the two big ones, I didn't get those wrong. Adultery and murder, I aced those two. Well, congratulations, you got 20%. You got, you know, missing eight out of 10 is still a failing grade. In fact, Missing one out of 10, that's also a failing grade. But let's go ahead and talk about those two big ones that you're so happy that you haven't done. You're congratulating yourself, patting yourself on the back. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. Maybe some of you are like, well, actually, I have done one or two of those. Well, remember, it's, it's not just a, a matter of what you do or don't do outwardly. It also matters what's going on in your heart. That's why the text says it cuts to the very thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus talked about this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, if a person says, hey, I'm a pretty good person because I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus says, okay, but have you ever harbored resentment in your heart towards another person? Because you understand that if you've done that, you're guilty. Have you, you say, oh, I've never committed adultery ever. But Jesus says, okay, but have you ever fantasized about someone? Because if you have, you've committed adultery in your heart. And yes, it's good that you didn't act on those things, but understand, even entertaining those thoughts and those feelings and and harboring them makes you guilty. 
You see, the very point is this. It's in verse 13 of chapter 4. It says this. You are going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for everything you've ever done wrong. Do you understand that? You are going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for everything you've ever done wrong. And that's a problem for you, right? Because if God is totally, if God is totally fair, if he gives you exactly what you deserve, then you're in big trouble. Because what you'll deserve is judgment. What you deserve is to be cut off forever. See, the thing is, we all want justice until we're the one on trial. And that's what the writer is telling us, is that one day you are going to be on trial. One day you are going to be the one in the crosshairs. And that's not good news for you. And so what do you need? What you need is an advocate. You need someone to come to your aid and to help you out because you are in trouble. So let's talk about the kind of advocate that we need. Secondly, well, what he says here is that the kind of advocate you need for this particular predicament that you are in is not legal counsel, it's not a lawyer. What you need is a priest. What you need is a priest. See, the whole concept of a priest was that a priest was a person who could reconnect you with God when you had broken your relationship with God. They would help you patch up that, rela that broken relationship with God. And the way they would do that, he mentions it here in the text, in chapter 5, verse 1, the way they would do that is by offering sacrifices to make atonement for sins, basically to patch up that broken relationship. And so what you need, what I need to help us in this predicament that we're in, what we need is a priest. Okay, but maybe you say, well, that's kind of weird that he says that because didn't they have priests? I mean, we don't have priests in the same way nowadays, but didn't they have priests? Why would he say that they need priests? Didn't they have an entire system of priests and a temple where they would make sacrifices in order to atone for sins? Well, yes. Well, then what was the problem? Why did they need another priest? Well, because the priestly system that they had had some inherent flaws in it. And they knew that. First of all, the priests themselves, as it mentions here in chapter 5, the priests themselves were sinful men. And so even they had distance between them and God. And so they even had to make sacrifices for their own sins before they could make sacrifices for the sins of the people. Secondly, the system required perfection. It required a perfect sacrifice. And yet we live in an imperfect world. So in order to make this whole thing work effectively, what you needed was a perfect priest. Good luck finding one of those. And you needed a perfect sacrifice. And so you guys say, well, is that, is that even possible? Does such a thing even exist in a world like ours where everything is flawed? So what you had was that their priestly system had a whole bunch of stopgap measures. They were just kind of patching things, like putting band-aids on things, really. Temporary fixes that had to be done over and over and over again. It was like putting a band-aid on a, a gushing wound. You, you could put it on there, and it might help a little, but it's, it's not going to fix the problem. The problem was still there. You just covered it up, and in a matter of time, you're going to need to cover it up again and again. It's like putting duct tape on something that's broken rather than fixing it, or like this truck that I had where I had this big crack in the radiator, and I could drive it about half a mile before I had to stop and, you know, put gallons of water into the radiator, and then I could go like another half a mile. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't fixing the problem. I was just keep it, keeping it rolling for just a little bit longer. That's what the sacrifices were like that they were giving in their priestly system. They were temporary fixes. They were stopgap measures. They were band-aids. They were imperfect and insufficient, and they were presented by people who were imperfect and insufficient. It was not enough. It just covered up the problem, but you would have to do it again and again and again, and that's why they had an army almost of priests who every day would work slaughtering animals, presenting sacrifices to put a band-aid on the problem of sin and guilt before God. 
But the thing is, when it's all said and done, and when you stand before God, like he's talking about here, and all the band-aids fall off, you've still got the same problem you always had. And so what you need is not just any priest. What you need is a perfect priest. And what you need is a perfect sacrifice, which also creates another problem. And I'll tell you what that problem is. You see, the penalty for sin is a life for a life. In other words, the only substitute for your life is another similar life. There's a problem with that. That would require a human sacrifice. And human sacrifice was absolutely forbidden. It was considered an abomination. There were some nations out there who did that, but God said, don't I ever catch you guys doing that. No way can you ever do that. And so what they would do is they would sacrifice animals. But again, this wasn't fixing the problem. It was just a Band-Aid on the problem. And so they come to this thing where it's like, wow, I don't know if this is ever going to work. How are you ever going to fix this? You can't have a human sacrifice. You need a priest, but not just any priest. You need a perfect priest. You need a sacrifice, but not just any sacrifice. You need a perfect sacrifice and a human sacrifice at that, which you're not allowed to do anyway. So what are you going to do? Each of these things alone by itself seems impossible to find, much less all three. And yet, this is exactly what we have in Jesus We come to Jesus and we find all of these things fulfilled. And up until now, what the author of Hebrews is doing, he is passionate about telling us who Jesus is. First, he showed us that Jesus is not just another man like a lot of other great men who have lived. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Then he showed us that Jesus, being divine, being God, became one of us. He became a man. He came to us. He became one of us. And he lived without sin even though he faced temptation just like we do. And he did all of that for one reason, so that he could give his life in exchange for yours, so that he could take what you deserve and then give you what he deserved. He took the judgment and the death. He was cut off from God so that in exchange, he could give you eternal life and the status of being a child of God. For you, it's the greatest trade ever. For him, well, not so much, but you know what he said about it? He said, you know what? I realized it was kind of an uneven trade, but here's the deal. It was worth it. It was more than worth it because I love you and I want you to be with me. In 1 John chapter 2, John says, he writes to these people he's, he's writing to, and he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, our advocate, he offers himself as a solution to our problem of sin and guilt and separation from God. But there's still one more problem. We're running into a lot of problems with this, aren't we? Okay, well, there's still one more problem. If you were a Jewish person, you would, you would recognize what the problem is immediately. And the text actually addresses it because any Jewish person reading this would have an immediate objection. What they would say is, wait a second, you can't just become a priest. You're either born into it or you're not. You can't just decide one day that you're going to become a priest. You have to be born into a priestly family. And then from among the priests, a person is appointed by God to be the high priest. So you can't just, you can't just become a priest. Like either Jesus is a priest or he's not. And so the immediate objection that a Jewish person would have would be, wait a second, Jesus doesn't meet the qualifications to be a priest. I mean, it's a nice thought and it's very interesting and all to think that Jesus is a priest, but he doesn't qualify. He wasn't born into a priestly family, into the lineage of the priests. And the author addresses this objection in chapter five, starting in verse four, where he says this, he acknowledges it. Nobody can take it upon themselves to become a priest. 
Correct. There were actually three people in the Bible who did exactly that. Did you know that? There were three people in the Bible who said, you know what, I'm going to be a priest. And so they just decided to make themselves a priest. And it didn't end well for either of them. Like the first one was Korah. as in Numbers chapter 16. He decided to lead a rebellion against Moses, made himself priest instead of Aaron. And God caused a sinkhole to open up underneath him and he died. Then you have King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He decided that he's going to be a priest and God fired him from his job as king. Then you have Uzziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He went into the temple and decided that he's going to be a priest now and he was struck with leprosy on the spot. So it didn't end well for any of these people. They all, you know, it all ended badly. So the point is this, you cannot just decide one day, I'm going to be a priest. It has to be done by an act of God's providence. And so then how can Jesus be a priest if he doesn't meet these requirements? Well, the author tells us in verse five, he says, well, look, Jesus did not just presumptuously take it upon himself to become a priest. He was appointed a high priest by God. And then he quotes from Psalm 110 verse four where it says that God appointed the Messiah, before we knew that his name would be Jesus, appointed the Messiah to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what in the world does that even mean? What it's referring to is a very kind of obscure, mysterious story. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 